Public participation in scientific research, or what we might commonly call citizen science or community science, is important to help scientists manage bottlenecks in their research. Situations where there's just too much data that needs to be collected, sometimes across large landscapes. Or maybe too much data that needs to be analyzed, like millions of images of galaxies, thousands of snapshots from a trail cam, or years worth of handwritten records. At the University of Minnesota, we are lucky to take part in developing an amazing online platform where the public and scientists come together to manage these bottlenecks. It's called Zooniverse. In this episode, at the end of Citizen Science Month 2021, we are going to learn about how Zooniverse is helping us discover known knowns, known unknowns, and unknown unknowns across our disciplines, worldwide, and across the universe. Welcome to Explore, Teach, Conserve, or the ETC, by the University of Minnesota Extension. I'm Nate Meyer, and we are excited to talk with Dr. Lucy Fortson from the University of Minnesota about her work with Zooniverse, the world's largest and most popular platform for people-powered science. We'll also talk about where you can learn more and get involved. Hi, Lucy. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Nate. It's great to be here. It's my pleasure, too, and I'm really excited to talk with you about Zooniverse today, where I understand that more than a million people from around the world come together through the project website to assist professional researchers to make discoveries and answer questions that would not be possible or practical otherwise. It's an amazing feat of science and engineering, and I wonder if you can start by painting me a picture, or giving me a great example of what Zooniverse is accomplishing. Yeah, in fact, we are well past a million. We're in fact well past two million volunteers. As you said, Zooniverse is a crowdsourcing citizen science platform. It hooks up volunteers who don't have to have any expertise whatsoever in any of the topics that are available, but it hooks them up with research projects where the researchers need pretty straightforward tasks done. Typically, these are visual tasks where the research team has a lot of images that need analyzing or processing. And typically, this means that there's way too much data. So there's that concept of big data. And so there's just millions of images that are coming in from some of these experiments. And many times those images have some complexity, which makes it hard for an algorithm to do the analysis. And so that's why we need volunteers, you know, humans who have this sort of evolutionary advantage to machines in that they are able to distinguish patterns in images much more readily than machines can. And so Zooniverse is this platform that assists researchers by enabling volunteers to come and help with their projects by labeling data, drawing, creating annotations, and those sorts of tasks. So a couple of examples are the first, very first Zooniverse project was Galaxy Zoo. 
And this was a project that simply asked the question, what shape is a galaxy in the image? And that is important because we call the shape of a galaxy morphology. The morphology of a galaxy is important because it relates to the evolution of galaxies in the universe. And galaxies tend to come in two basic shapes or morphologies, spiral or elliptical. But like a fingerprint, each galaxy has its own peculiar twist on that shape. And so it's really difficult for a machine algorithm to come in and actually identify. And so this was a perfect example of the type of project that you could get humans with their natural abilities for recognizing complex patterns to contribute uh, to research. So that was done way back in 2007. That was such a popular project, several hundred thousand volunteers helped with that project. And so we now do projects within astronomy, but ecology and zoology and the humanities and you name it, it's pretty much in any discipline that is out there. Um, so maybe another example would be our projects in ecology. So Snapshot Safari is actually a local homegrown project here at the University of Minnesota through the Lions Center. And they are setting up camera grids in various parks across Africa. And these camera grids, the, each camera within the camera grid is heat and motion sensitive. So like a trail cam. And so it's heat and motion sensitive. So big lion walks by, triggers the camera. You get this amazing image of a lion in its natural habitat doing its natural thing. The problem is, is that you also have a wind-blown piece of grass in front of the camera that's just continuously triggering it. And so out of the millions of images that were coming in from several hundred cameras in that first grid, only a fraction of them actually had, quote, interesting animals in them. And so, again, this was something that was very difficult at the time for machine algorithms to take care of. And so it was left to the graduate student to sort of sift through all of these millions of images to find the ones of the animals. And that is not really what you need or want to be doing as a graduate student. But it is something that volunteers, you know, six-year-old kids can do quite easily. And why not have them do it? Because it's fun and it contributes to research. Why is it important to making scientific discoveries especially as it relates to tackling conservation challenges. Let me say first a word about the discoveries within the astronomical realm, and then we'll move to conservation challenges. And that's because there are different classes of data. And people talk about what you know, we refer to as known knowns, known unknowns, and unknown unknowns. <laughs> So we have known knowns, known unknowns, and unknown unknowns. And so the way Zooniverse is set up is to get at each of those categories. The main task, so for example, let's take the ecology task of the Lion Center's project, Snapshot Safari, and the known knowns are the lions, or even the antelope, or the known species there. And so it's relatively straightforward, most people know what a lion looks like, they go through. So that's the primary task. In ecology, there are also the known unknowns. And by that, in ecology, we would mean rare species. 
So to give you an example, out of the millions of images that were obtained in the first project in Snapchat Safari, Snapchat Serengeti, there were a handful, uh, some 10 images of a zorilla. I don't know if your listeners know what a zorilla is. It's not a cross between a gorilla and a zebra. It's more like a cross between a zebra and a skunk. And so you can look it up, zorilla. 10 images out of a million. So it's a very rare species. So this would be something where as you're going through the task, we don't have Zorilla as a icon in the task, but it is something that you can contribute information about by going to our talk boards. And so this is where we're not just doing the main task, but you can engage in Zooniverse work through our discussion boards. And this is where our research teams, they're there to engage in conversations. And this is where many of our discoveries are made. There are few examples that I know of in the ecology realm of the unknown unknown. So that would be if you discovered an entirely new species completely. And I have yet to hear about that happening within Zooniverse. Where that does happen quite a lot is in astronomy it makes some kind of sense because we're still babies at surveying the universe and there's stuff out there that mother nature has thought of that we just haven't come across. Uh, and so there've been many discoveries of, for example, whole different species of galaxies. Let's just call them species as an analogy. Probably the most famous is the green peas. And so your listeners can Google galaxy zoo green peas and there's an entire story about how the volunteers were trying to get the attention of, of the research team. Um, the research team was occupied with other stuff. And literally for months on end, a core of volunteers called themselves the Peas Corps because they saw these interesting objects that looked like green peas. So there they are. They're trying to figure out what they are. They're doing their own research. They're going to the literature. They're researching based on certain types of metadata that were available through the Zooniverse projects. They were able to uncover certain characteristics about these objects and then use those characteristics to search through the data and find new examples of these. And so eventually, when there was finally the attention paid by the research team, you know, the research team was like, oh my goodness, look what you've done. <laughs> you found in a completely new uh, class of galaxies. And to this day, there's an entire cottage industry about these galaxies. These galaxies are incredibly important because we believe they're very local universe analogs to what we think are early galaxies, galaxies created towards the beginning of the universe. And that's very special. And so the, the label that the, the volunteers came up with stuck. So that's just an example of the kind of unknown, unknown discovery process that can happen through the Zooniverse. The Zooniverse is a huge project involving developers and researchers from the University of Minnesota, the Adler Planetarium, Oxford, and other institutions across the U.S. and worldwide. What about your role with the Zooniverse? Can you tell me a little bit about your background and how you got involved with the project and what you do? Yeah. I'm a professor in the School of Physics and Astronomy here at the University of Minnesota. I have been here almost 12 years, and that is about the same length of time that the Zooniverse has been a thing. And it's not a complete coincidence. I was actually vice president for research at the Adler Planetarium before I came to Minnesota. And 
the year prior to when I left, I had met Chris Lintot, who is a professor at Oxford, who is the overall PI of Zooniverse. And he was, you know, one of the originators of the Galaxy Zoo project. My role as vice president for research at the Adler Planetarium, I had been asked by the board, well, how are you going to do research? You don't have graduate students. You don't have undergraduate students. And my answer was, aha, but we have the general public. And it was, this is a whole different model here. And so I was actually working on how to engage the general public in research. And then when I met Chris, it was sort of this, but we're trying to accomplish the same goals. And so that was an, a natural fit there. And so at that time, we started it at the Adler Planetarium and Oxford. And then when I moved up here, my husband got a job up here. And so when I moved up here, I was like, I'm not leaving this behind. <laughs> this is so cool. I'm not, I'm going to take part of it with me. And, and so my role here then, because I'm much more in an academic environment than a museum environment, is on the development of the algorithm side. And so going back a little bit to this question of what can humans do and what can algorithms do? Well, that has changed quite a lot since the launch of Zooniverse or Galaxy Zoo in 2007. I mean, now we're talking about self-driving cars and stuff like that. So quite a lot of work has been done on the algorithmic side. And in fact, in the realm of galaxy evolution and morphology, there are algorithms now that have been trained using the labels provided by Galaxy Zoo volunteers, trained machine algorithms to be good enough that we don't necessarily need the same level of attention from the volunteers that we did back in the day when Galaxy Zoo was happening. However, I want to make a very critical point here for your listeners. It's not that we don't need the human attention anymore. It's just the job has changed. So the stuff that was hard for the machines, you know, 12 years ago is easier for the machines. But what has also happened in the meantime is the numbers of images that are coming in has changed by several orders of magnitude. So the first set of images we were working with, with Galaxy Zoo was order of a million. The observatories that are cranking up right now going to be billions of images coming in. And so if we were to just operate in the same way that we operated Galaxy Zoo 10 years ago, we would be swamped instantly. There would not be enough human eyes on the planet to do the work. So we have to engage the machines. So the machines are now trained to do the easy stuff. And so that leaves the more interesting discovery areas for the humans. Again, so the humans will always keep an edge, that evolutionary edge on the machines. So what do I do here at Minnesota? I have a team of astrophysicists, data scientists. I work with ecologists. I work with medical imaging specialists. And what I do, what my team does, is we come up with the best combination of artificial intelligence, or machine algorithms, and human volunteers. What is the best combination that can crack any given research problem? Our listeners love to learn more about and get involved with projects like Zooniverse. In fact, I think quite a few of our volunteers have probably already been on the site. But where do you suggest they can learn more or get involved, especially if they are new to the project? The easy answer is <laughs> you just go to zooniverse.org. 
And you can subscribe to the Daily Zooniverse. There's a blog and there's always fun stories. So even if you don't have time right now to contribute to a project, there's always really cool stories from across the spectrum of disciplines. So that's definitely one way. The other is if you have a particular area that you're interested, say you're interested in the ecology projects, whether it be the camera trap projects, or for example, through the Bell Museum, we have one called Mapping Change, which is really looking at Minnesota as this biome, this set of biomes that's really sensitive to climate change. And what that project is doing is asking volunteers to label the uh, metadata tags on specimens that have been collected, you know, over the past hundred years that are part of the collections of the Bell Museum. And so in that process, we're able to see how things have changed. So literally mapping change. Okay, so maybe you don't have the time to actually do the project, but you can read. You can, each, each project has an about page. And so you can just go read. And there's a lot of fantastic information that if you just are a dabbler, and you're just curious about how would you do this? Okay, obviously we would prefer it if you could contribute a few classifications, but you know, again, this is about helping the volunteers and the general public learn about the process of science too. So pick a project, go to the about page, read the about page, and then go to the talk board. And there's all sorts of discussion there and dive deep in that. So again, if you're not, if you don't have the time to commit to doing some of the classifications, Go to the about page, dive into the talk boards, and maybe one day you'll come back and do some of the classifications. I suspect you're familiar with social media apps. What is a hashtag or a brief message that you wish would really take off right now? Like millions, or in your case, billions of people mm -hmm. are sharing it. The obvious answer is, you know, go to zooniverse.org. That's a bit trite. I think for me, COVID has had such an impact on so many different realms of our society that we may have taken for granted. And one of those is our fantastic cultural institutions like museums. And so I would really like to put out a plea for your listeners to go to the Bell Museum. It's open. If you hadn't heard, it's open. Take your masks, go to the Bell. They've got it figured out. You'll be safe. Just go take a day. And as the spring springs and the vaccines are rolling, it'll become that much more safer. But go to the Bell Museum. And if you really don't want to go actually physically to the Bell Museum, they've got some really cool virtual things that you can do. We need to help our cultural institutions regain their footing. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the ETC. Huge thanks to Dr. Lucy Fortson for joining us to talk about Zooniverse. Visit www.zooniverse.org to learn more about and get involved with people-powered research on the site. Thanks also to Lauren Sorgard for helping to edit this interview. This episode was recorded over Zoom from our homes during the coronavirus pandemic in 2021. We hope you enjoyed the opportunity for some advanced training during your daily walk while sitting at your desk or wherever you can listen in. Look for the ETC and subscribe on any of your favorite podcast services. 
Give us a thumbs up or drop a comment to let us know you value the podcast. Pass it along to others. We look forward to sharing another episode soon. In the meantime, we hope you stay safe, be healthy, and enjoy nature in place.